Hi, I'm Ashley Nichols. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan. And this is the Growing Democracy Podcast, a space for citizens, experts, and advocates to create community together. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about civic engagement, governance, and how to grow our democracy. This episode is part of our series on the power of political and civic engagement. We're talking with local elected officials, public officials, and community activists to learn more about what civic and political engagement means to them and how they're involved in their communities. What I think is interesting is uh, this, this is definitely a civic engagement topic, uh, and the topic for the week is domestic violence. And, uh, you know, as Ashley, as you were saying earlier, this is not something that, well, one, people are, are really comfortable talking about, period. Uh, and, and two, uh, they're, they're definitely, it's not the first topic that comes to mind when they think of civic engagement is, yeah. uh, is tackling or, or just talking about destigmatizing domestic violence. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we were talking about this and reflecting on the conversation right before recording the, this intro and, and thinking about, for me, uh, one of the first spaces that I kind of got deeply engaged in my in my own civic engagement, community engagement journey um, was around domestic violence, serving at a DV shelter, volunteering. Um, I actually was part of a team that adopted a room. Um, and so we would we would paint the room. We would make sure that it was furnished, but we would volunteer there as well. And I was a and, and it, you know, it's it's motivated by kind of personal experience in some ways, but but that so often when I'm in my other world of talking about civic and political engagement, never do I have conversations with people that come back to domestic violence. Yet it's so important to my own journey, um, and to my own learning and how I came um to to have these conversations with about civic and political engagement broadly. Yeah, and I, and I kept reflecting uh, during this interview on the stigmatization of domestic violence, and and uh, you know, the first time I outed myself as as a as a target of domestic violence was really uncomfortable, mm-hmm. uh, and I had this discussion in a classroom full of students teaching women politics and policy, and it was uh, even though I I wasn't ashamed and. Uh, you know, I worked really hard to get myself out of this situation that, uh, you know, it started when when I was very, yeah, I was 18 for crying out loud. And so uh, there, there wasn't anything uh, internally that I was ashamed of. And yet it felt so uh, difficult to to actually share that experience with people, despite the fact that it really did shape uh, who who I was, who I am. Uh, my my first uh, jump into volunteering was in domestic violence shelters uh, because I knew what it was like to leave that situation and then to have to go through the legal work of you know uh, getting a divorce and getting a restraining order and keeping your kids safe. Right, I knew what all of that looked like, and I wanted to uh, pay that forward for folks that, that were going through that myself. So so I can understand how deeply uh, uh, difficult it is for, for targets of domestic violence to seek help, and, and what an amazing set of services uh, uh, places like Women's Safe, uh, and, and the role that they do play in 
uh, civic engagement and getting people to understand that this is a community problem. This isn't an individual's problem. Yes. Right? This is this is a community problem that needs to be tackled by the community. Absolutely. And this is a really powerful episode. And I, I really hope that our listeners appreciate all of the, the, the places we go in the conversation. All right, we're really excited to have our guest with us today. We have with us Megan Fisher. Uh, she is the Chief Operating Officer at Women's Safe. After graduating from her small school in Geauga County, Megan attended Kent State University. Woot, by the way, we have so many amazing Kent State affiliates that we've interviewed. Um, and she was honored to be able to participate in both the Geneva Study Abroad Program and the Washington Program in National Issues, WPNI. After graduating with her BA in international relations, she knew she wanted to make an impact through her job. Megan has been with Women Safe for almost seven years now, beginning her career in direct service aiding and educating survivors of domestic violence. After two years, she moved into a development role and has been working with grants, special events, donor relations, and marketing ever since. She's 29 years old, and when she's not working, she enjoys her quiet country life, camping and spending time outside with her fiancé, her dog Ruger, and her cat Pickles. So excited to have you. Hi. Well, thank you. Thank you again for, uh, for having me. I'm so uh, grateful to be on and uh, to talk to you today. So, Megan, I wonder, can you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself? And definitely, how did you come to name your cat Pickles? So I have to say that the official name, her, um, his official name is Mr. Pickles. And actually our friend named him. We, he was a stray that we brought home and, uh, we had a Mr. Pickles that also eventually led to his, uh, brother cat Dill. So <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is a great story. I'm a little, I'm a little envious. I didn't think of that, but, uh, that is, that is a fabulous story. <laughs> So now we know how your cat came to be named Pickles. Uh, tell us more about the rest of you, your life and, and how you wound up in the role that you're in right now. So uh, as I know, we mentioned, I am a Geauga County resident and graduated from Kent. I was lucky enough to participate in the uh, Geneva program through Kent and WPNI, which uh, I'm sure that we'll get into more later, but I've definitely got to give shout outs to those two programs. They were great programs and really helped me decide where I wanted my career path to go. And so after I graduated, I moved back home. I eventually ended up working, getting a job at Women's and which is a domestic violence um, and resource center located in Chardon out in Geauga County. And my first role there was working directly with our survivors. So I was providing them with basic needs, making sure that they had food, clothing, hygiene items when they were staying with us, but also when clients found housing and worked with our housing coordinator and then they moved out, I would get them couches and beds and dishes and pots and pans and make sure that they had things to, for when they reestablished into their own home. I'd help them move in. I'd provide transportation. So really working with the clients, but 
in that pursuit, I have worked a lot with donors in the community because everything that I had to give to our survivors was donated. And let me just say that it is amazing to see the support that we get from our community and the nice items that people have to donate to us. I mean, you know, we have our Christmas program every December where we help around 80 families uh, for, with, with the holidays and give them food and presents. And we're actually able to only accept new gifts for presents, which, you know, for 80 families is just amazing. And so I really became fascinated with why people give and how people choose to give. Some people give items, some people give their time by volunteering, some people, uh, you know, give monetary donations. And uh, looking into building those relationships and finding out their stories, what their connection is to our mission and what else they're involved in. And it, uh, I just became um, enthralled in the development world. And so after two years, I start, went to my boss and let her know that I really wanted to, you know, work, look for something on the development side. And it actually just so happened there was a position, you know, becoming available still at Women's Safe. And so I moved into that role and I am coming up on my seven years now um, at Women's Safe. That's fantastic. So your title is chief operating officer real quickly. What does that mean? So you're from what I'm hearing, you're still in development, but what does it mean to be the chief operating officer? So one thing about working for a small nonprofit is you wear many, many hats. And so on any given day, I could be doing, I could be plunging toilets if, you know, if we need to. And I really love that about my organization that none of us are above doing anything because I think teamwork you know, and everyone coming together uh, is so important in any workplace. And I mean, goes hand in hand with, you know, civic engagement of, you know, I, I have done most of the people that I supervise, I have done their jobs for the most part. And so I would never ask anyone to do anything that I haven't or wouldn't do. So, and I, and my, you know, my boss is the same way. And I, I really like that. So while I, again, I'm involved in a lot of different things. My main priorities are overseeing our development team and the sustainability of Women's Safe as far as funding is concerned. So I, uh, you know, I have with, with the help, again, this is with the help of my development team who I am so, so grateful for their uh, ideas and their strengths and their hard work. But as a team, we manage all of our grants. So that's government grants, private foundations and trusts. We are donor relations. So major gifts, uh, individual campaigns, our mailings, our corporate partnerships, uh, monthly giving programs, our volunteers. I oversee our marketing and our print materials and communications and our website, our special events and third-party fundraisers. And I also oversee our resale shop. 
which I have to give a little plug to right now, there we have a resale shop in Chesterland that is operated by a few employees, uh, but mostly volunteers. And uh, that is one of the things that is so inspiring to me that when I have volunteers coming in, they don't say, oh, yeah, I'm going in to volunteer. They say, oh, I have to go to work now. So, you know, their, their husband is like, where's my lunch? And she's like, well, I'm going to work. So sorry. And, uh, the fact that we can rely on those volunteers to run our store and really cuts down on our expenses. And the fact that everything that's in the store is donated to us allows us to actually use the resale shop for about 15% of our funding. So a quick shout out, if you're in the area, in Chesterland, Women Save the Resale Shop, uh, go visit it. But so again, I wear lots of different hats, but what I think my job mostly comes down to is building relationships with the community, with our supporters, with our partners to make sure, to ensure that Women Safe can sustain funding and so the services that are needed in our community. Now, you mentioned services uh, that you provide to your community, and, and you guys really provide so many different services, uh, whether that's emergency shelter for women that need to immediately leave abusive situations, uh, 24-hour support and crisis management hotline, counseling. I, I mean, there's so many other uh, programs, babysitting, things like that. You also try to build community awareness, though, and, and that's got to be a, a pretty major portion of, of your job. Can you explain that process to us a little bit? So the only way that we are going to end the cycle of violence is through prevention and education. So why, uh, if you experience domestic violence as a child, you, whether you experience it or just w- or witness it uh, in your household, you are up to five times more likely to be a perpetrator or a victim as an adult. And if you think about it, most of us are looking towards our parents to what a healthy relationship looks like. And if our role models as our parents are giving us bad ideas of what, uh, what controlling, be- you know, we're not getting the what red flags are, what are boundary issues, what are things to watch out for, what are things that are not okay, If we're not able to recognize that as we're growing up, we're bound to repeat the cycle. And um, again, whether that is a victim or as an abuser. And so one program that we have at Women's Safe is a healthy relationships program that teaches in the middle schools and high schools in our area. And that's because one, it's one, another great way for us to get information home to parents that might need it. But two, it's a great way for us to be reaching those kids and putting these ideas in their head. And we actually, the national statistic is one in three teenagers will be in an abusive relationship. And so the only way that we're going to stop that cycle is by having open conversations in the community and pointing out the good role models and making sure that we are being good role models for the next generation so that they don't repeat the cycle again. So working in this space is heavy. Talking about domestic violence, talking about intimate partner 
abuse, talking with middle schoolers about dating and healthy relationships. Like this stuff is heavy. Um, and it has, you know, a lot of implications. What keeps you motivated to keep doing the work that you're doing? I, you know, I, I get that question a lot in, in a sense of, yeah, like, aren't you just depressed all the time? Like hearing, you know, all these terrible stories and it is hard. I will say that I am a little bit more removed from it than I was now being in a, in the development role. And I'm not working with the clients every day, like, like I was, but I, uh, I will never forget the day that I walked back into the shelter. I had been working uh, at Women's Safe for a few months and uh, ran into somebody that I went to high school with. And I was so taken off guard that this person that I had been in high school with for so long, you know, I graduated high school with, they were just like me, right? They were just, a, we weren't close friends, but I went to a really small high school. And I uh, am not gonna lie, I did not, I went, had to go back after and apologize, because it actually really shocked me. And I don't think I handled it <laughs> very well. But it really hit me of, you never know what's going on behind those closed doors. And the more that I worked with clients and hearing stories of, um, you know, doctors, you know, people that are, you know, you think that that's not going to happen to them. They're accomplished. They have, you know, they are a, a doctor. How could that, how could that happen to them? Well, it, it does. Like it, uh, we say domestic violence does not discriminate. It does not matter your race, your socioeconomic class, your gender, Women's Safe does take you know, uh, men into our services and shelter as well. I know our name does uh, question that a little bit, but but we do. And so, when I do hear the success stories, because those are the often the stories that that make their way back to me, so I can share them with donors, are the success stories of the clients that. So survivors that are coming in that started with nothing, they didn't, they had to get their driver's license and then apply for a job and then save up for a car. But then they, then they got a car, but then two months, it was not a great car and it broke down two months later. But just hearing how people and individuals can overcome so much and I'm reminded every day how blessed I am and that because I have been so lucky, I want to help those people because one day I might need help and you never know. You should never say never because people's lives, people could be on top of a mountain and within a short amount of time, you're at the bottom again, and all those friends that you thought you had aren't there anymore. And that's scary. But uh, so I, I really, I really enjoy my job. I also will say I have an amazing team, and they work so hard. And so many of them have overcome so much. And that's oftentimes why our advocates will work for very little pay. <laughs> we wish we could pay our 
our people more, but uh, because they've overcome so much and they're inspiring to me also. Yeah, just hearing you talk, uh, I mean, it just reminded me that there is so much stigma around uh, domestic violence and and who we think, right, uh, victims or targets of de- domestic violence are. And, and, and even maybe in some instances, like that we question, well, well, what did you do to deserve it? Or, or why did you stay for so long, right? It takes the average person, was it 10 tries to leave a domestic violence situation? I think, right, I, think right? the, I think I think the last one I've heard is seven, but um, but okay. don't, don't don't quote me. It, but it is it is it's an, it's, but, I mean, it, it's a large number. Right, right. So I mean, there there are all these uh, negative connotations that surround you know victims or targets of of domestic abuse, and and I guess I'm just curious: is that part of the community engagement and awareness that 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 you see as important. And, and, and I guess the reason I'm asking this is this is part of our political and civic engagement series. And to me, that really, that seems like civic engagement to, to take uh, a group of people that are, that are stigmatized in such a negative way uh, who receive abuse on both ends, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, and try to, to get their message and their story uh, out to the community. So I guess my question to you is, do you see that as civic engagement? And, and, and maybe what else? I, I do. I do. So one uh, one program that we have during um, October, which is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, is Rock the Purple Socks campaign. And what we do is we partner with local football teams and have them choose one football game where they wear purple, um, which is our purple ribbon. So they wear purple socks. The cheerleaders wear purple bows. They, uh, you know, have some PSAs. We hand out uh, cop- safety cards and copeline bracelets. And part of the reasoning behind that was how do we engage men in this discussion? Because they they can't be separate separate from this discussion if we're going to find a solution they have to be included and so how do we involve men young men in this conversation so we came across so we uh, came up with this program but I think it goes back to what I said about, you know, having that open communication and we have to have that as a community and uh, come together and have open conversations and get rid of those stigmas. Uh, You know, members of the LGBTQ community do receive high levels of um, domestic violence as well. We are Women Safe is proud to be safe zone certified and open to, um, to, you know, to everybody because we recognize that there is a lot of stigma behind domestic violence. And that's actually part of the reason that Women Safe is, um, is an undisclosed shelter. So our, our address is, is open. Um, we don't, uh, we obviously have experience extreme safety protocols in place. We um, have a great relationship with our, with the Geauga County Sheriff's Department who uh, makes regular drive-throughs. We have very um, secure even to get in the, in the building. However, we wanted to get away from the stigma that it was the survivor that needed to go into hiding and uproot their entire lives. 
that they couldn't go into public spaces, that they were the ones that needed to change when what it was is it's the violent perpetrator that needs to change. It's the perpetrator that needs to stay away from the community events. And, um, and so we, uh, so when we built our new facility about uh, 13, 14 years ago, we decided to, um, to do that. Now, I, I just, I guess I wonder, um, it, it, it seems to me that, uh, that this is a pretty important issue, but I can also hear in my head <laughs> people saying, oh, well, how much domestic violence could actually be happening in Geauga County, right? You know, that, is this really that prevalent or just leave them and then the problem takes care of itself. But, uh, but I feel like there's more to that. How, how important is this? To, to engage in this type of civic engagement with the community? Well, I can tell you that I definitely heard that. I think I don't hear it as much anymore because people know better than to say it to me. But when I first started at Women's Safe, I um, heard that a lot, you know, oh, that's so, that's so great that you're working there, you know, for those people, you know, from Cleve, you know, from the city, from, from, you know, they're from, oh, from downtown. That's so good that you can be there for them. But the sad reality, again, is that domestic violence happens everywhere. And we, um, last fiscal year, I believe we housed about 170 individuals. And uh, um, over a third of those individuals came from Geauga County. And uh, that obviously does not include the whole breadth of domestic violence in Geauga County. There are people that will go to uh, shelters out of county because of lethality risks, they need to get farther away, or um, their uh, their support system may be in another county, so that's closer to them, so they'll go stay there, or again, they'll stay with a friend, um, or they don't leave. And so what we want everyone to know is that they're sh they shouldn't be afraid to leave because of the stigma. So people that, um, a, a reason that people that are in higher socioeconomic classes uh, for, and I use this as an example because Geauga County is, um, is a richer county just in, you know, total income. And they, uh, they are actually less likely to leave due to what other people might think. And, uh, but that should never be a reason to stay in an abusive relationship. They, there are resources. We want everyone to know that there are resources out there. Not only do we are, is there shelters, but if you have a safe place to stay, but you want to meet with advocates to talk about housing or court or counseling, most DV programs, including Women's Safe, have that option as well. And so even if you're not ready to leave, I encourage you to call just to start the conversation with an advocate and learn what about the opportunities are in your area. Because there are probably a lot more that you do not know about that can help you because you should not have to endure the abuse that you're, that you're going through. I feel so blessed because my home is my favorite place. Like, I mean, quarantine is kind of like ideal for me. I mean, that's a little extreme, but I love it. And I just, I can't imagine not wanting to come home. So a lot of the 
the conversation has been about services and education and awareness, which are super powerful and really important. A lot of the conversations we have on the podcast also then, in part because Casey and I um, are engaged with policy, talk about kind of the intersections and in, in, in areas where this intertwines with policy. Are there spaces where Women's Safe is engaged in policy rev- relevant discussions, or even at the most you know advanced level, a lot like lobbying around funding and things like that? Could you could you talk us through a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah, so we work with the Ohio Domestic Violence Network, which is Ohio's uh, Ohio. Domestic Violence Network. I guess it's pretty self-explanatory, but uh, and we work with them, so we're a member of them, and we work with them on policy reform, um, specifically for domestic violence. So that involves a lot of different uh, spaces. So, for instance, uh, several years ago, there was a law passed, and that actually what is what prompted our Healthy Relationships Program that. Um, high schools in Ohio do have to provide the um, healthy relationship educations now. And so that was not a law before. And so that is now. Now, the I will say that uh, we were proud to get that law passed. It is a little loose on what the education actually needs to consist of, but it uh, it is a positive step in the right direction. And for the high schools that we're able, that allow us to come in, we're able to provide a two-day training, which is great. That's certified. Uh, so, um, so that's really great. But there's also funding uh, priorities that um, ODVN lobbies for. For instance, uh, several years ago, right after the Me Too movement, there became a million-dollar line item that was given to all states from the uh, from the federal government for sexual assault specific programs. And so ODVN, along with a lot of other agencies, have worked really hard to recognize DV as well. And last year, they were successful in also securing a million-dollar line item for for DV, domestic violence-specific programs as well. And so that was a really great win and provided some great funding that could um, help with, you know, the education, the prevention, and the services that that, uh, domestic violence violence programs provide in Ohio and in every state. Yeah, absolutely. So I appreciate you answering that. And and part of it was maybe a little bit motivated by the fact I also live in Shaker Heights and my daughter was in Aisha Fraser's class when Aisha Fraser was by her estranged husband. Um, And so uh, I I know that in Ohio, Aisha's law has been a pretty significant point of discussion as well. I'm going to pivot momentarily a little bit. Um, So if we want to come back to this conversation, we definitely can. But I want to ask, right, kind of going back to your your time in school, you were involved with programs like WP&I, the Washington Program um, on National Issues, and the Geneva Study Abroad. How did those experiences shape your interest in kind of doing this type of work and also kind of, and maybe even the the skills that you're applying to this day in your job. Oh, I know people hate study abroad people because we just want to talk about it all the time. But I, I have to say that, um, 
I participating in both the Geneva program and WPNI was an amazing experience and 100% got me on the path that I am on today. So I was very undecided when I was in school about what I wanted to do career-wise. I knew that uh, civic engagement was important to me. I knew I wanted to give back. I just didn't know if I wanted to work in lobbying and politics or go um, the nonprofit route. And so when I studied abroad in Geneva, I interned for Interpeace, which is a nonprofit that fights corruption and promotes democracy and peace and inclusion in developing countries. And uh, they are they were monumental in creating the International Peace Day, actually. And so I got to work on the communications team, and which was really about gathering stories from our people that actually had their feet on the ground um, in these developing countries, and sharing that with our community, with our donor base. And so that was an amazing experience, not only because. I got to see firsthand what a nonprofit is like, you know, how it's run. Um, nonprofit and corporate, very different, just in case you didn't know. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. And also, I, while I was there, I got to travel to so many different countries. I think I hit 14 countries total. And it... Uh, just gave me the opportunity to learn about so many other cultures. That was my first time over in Europe. And I loved just uh, seeing how different we all are, but also the same. Like, I, I know it's weird, but I feel at the core, we all have the same sort of values and needs. We just express them differently. And so, um, so that was, that was really great. And then when that, when I did that, my fall semester of my senior year, then came back home for a couple weeks and then moved to DC for the, um, for WPNI in the spring semester. I actually am hosting, uh, I'm supervising a WPNI intern this semester. Uh, yes, that stayed, uh, she chose to, um, stay here. I, I know I feel bad that she doesn't get the full DC experience, but, um, I was grateful that, uh, we were able to, um, to host her. And so I interned for, uh, for Congressman Bill Johnson and, uh, got to work on Capitol Hill, which was, a crazy experience. It was just amazing. I mean, it was actually, I was there during the Boston Marathon bombing. And I remember just um, everyone just glued to the TVs and everyone, you know, uh, on pins and needles about what to do. And do we need, are there going to be other bombs? So I, it is, it was definitely a once in a lifetime experience. And I was so grateful for it. I do have to say that that made me realize that I did not want to work directly in politics. <laughs> yeah. 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 There is a lot. I mean, obviously there, I, um, there is a lot of great that happens um, in the political world. What I struggle with is how 
slow it takes for change. And I very, very much so appreciate our people that are, that choose to be civically engaged in that way for good, because (laughs) it, uh, it can be, it can be very frustrating. But again, I was so grateful that I had that experience. And I met a lot of wonderful people through that I was studying with in those programs that I worked with in those programs. And uh, when I moved back home, I knew that I wanted to go back into the into nonprofits. And that, you know, really shaped what I was looking for in a job after I graduated. And I don't know that I would have had that, that motivation to do that if I hadn't had those experiences. Now, I'm also really curious about your journey because your, your bachelor's is in international relations. And yet here you are, right, doing civic engagement on a local level. I mean, do you see some, uh, you know, correlation between these two things or, or, or what is it that prompted that? So I, I am definitely, although my major was international relations, I am definitely a small town local girl. Um, my, I have a very large family. Um, my dad's family was actually Amish little tidbit about Megan and, uh, I love, I love my town. I love my community. I love my county. And I think that, uh, like I was talking about earlier, how when I was traveling, how we might have celebrated in different ways in different countries, but we were all celebrating, you know, around, uh, or at least in the European countries, everyone was celebrating around Christmas. It was in different ways. In Hungary, we got to go to uh, the the Christmas festivals and drink mulled wine from booths that then walked around. You know, I, I don't get to do that in Burton, but... What? But the point is that they we were both still celebrating, and both of our communities still wanted to come together, and I think that is a big part of civic engagement is just taking pride in what is around you. I think when we take pride in in our community and our neighborhood, we want it to succeed because we know if everything around us is succeeding, we're more likely to succeed. And so when we can come together and on a big level and on small levels, I think so many, I think people uh, underestimate the power of smiling at somebody across the, across the store. It's a little more difficult with masks, but uh, I try to smile with my eyes because again, I think when we take pride in, what's around us it's we are automatically going to want to make it better and I think that's universal that you know we as humans we are community animals we are not uh we you know we don't survive alone that's why we built communities and neighborhoods from the beginning uh and so no matter where you're at, 
how you participate in civic engagement might look differently, but I think that most communities have that as a, as a highly regarded value. Most places, somebody that's really involved and helps a lot of people is normally higher regarded than someone that steals and murders. And, you know, that's sort of a universal um, belief. And I think that's really powerful that no matter where you go, people want you to be a good person. And uh, when we can come together, I think that's when that's when change happens. I like that a lot. And so you've, you've, you've touched on it in a couple different spots. Um, when you were talking about domestic violence and staying motivated and staying engaged, you said something along the lines of, you know, I continue to be committed because I never, I want to be the person doing the work to create the change and make a better world. And I never know if I'll need that help. Right. And, and just now made a comment about right? The commitment to community and as an individual being a part of a collective. One of the values that we have for the Growing Democracy Project is around what that means, what it means to be an individual as a part of a collective, as a part of a democratic system. And so I want to ask you what it means to have an engaged citizenry. And I'm using the term citizenry very broadly here not the legal definition, but like, what does it mean to have an engaged citizenry? And what does that look like to you? If you, if you had this image that you could kind of try to define for us or paint a picture, what would that be? So it's weird because my first, I think when, or at least my first initial thought, I think because I partially am a little bit of an overachiever, uh, I was listening to a seminar with someone the other day and they were listing off all of everything that she was on. She's on like 10 boards and the CEO of a company and the executive director. And, and I, I had a moment of like, gosh, like I, what have I even done? She's done so much. I need to get to that level. But really what I think it boils down to is starting from within us because we can only change what we do, right? We have no control over what others do. And if you can focus on your circle of influence, and I'm totally stealing that term from somebody, and I'm not sure who it was, but I believe if you can focus on your circle of influence and what you can change, so whether that's within yourself, living a positive life, living a life that opens doors for people and that puts the grocery cart away, you know, starting with simple items and acts of kindness like that will overflow into larger acts. And so when we focus and look within ourselves and what uh, also what's important to us, because, you know, civic engagement could be being involved in a domestic, in volunteering for Women Safe. But if you don't have a connection to Women Safe or to domestic violence, you're less likely to stay involved with that organization. So finding what values you have, what is important to you, and then finding ways that you can use that those values to make your community, um, your world a better place. 
And because again, when when what's around us is improving and succeeding, that's only going to make our lives better. And when you focus on what you can control, when that when you live a positive life, not only does that reflect to others and others treat, begin to treat you differently, but your whole demeanor changes and you will, you'll notice a positive change in your life. You'll notice less, less anxiety, less sadness, because you know that you're doing what you can to better your world and your life. And what's out of your control is out of your control. But I think when you start with those small things, because I think people get scared, right? Especially if they aren't very civically engaged of, okay, so do I have to, do I need to like go out and, and rally right now? No, you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to start with that. But when you start with little things, you, more ideas come into your head, more opportunities will present themselves in, into your life. And you'll be able to welcome those with open arms because you'll be ready for them. Megan, it's been really great having you on. And I, as our last question, we always ask people, what, what words of wisdom do you have for our listeners? And also, how can they get involved with Women's Safe or, or with you know, uh, tackling the issue of domestic violence at, at large if they're interested? So I think the most important thing I w- that we want people to know about domestic violence is that it is not your fault. And there are resources out there that can help you. So if you find yourself in an, in an unsafe environment, um, whether that be physically or emotionally or verbally, there are resources in most counties. So no matter where you're listening from, if you have access to safe technology, and you can do a Google search for domestic violence resources in my area. You can also look on the, there is a, the National Domestic Violence Hotline. If you're in Northeast Ohio, feel free to call Copeline, our, which is our 24-hour hotline. We'll make sure to link that in the show notes uh, for you guys, for anybody to call that, um, that needs that, in, that information in Northeast Ohio. But all you can do, the first thing that you need to do is reach out and uh, ask for help. And I can promise you that there will be someone on the other line to answer your call. Uh, as far as the people that are interested in uh, getting involved in Women's Safe, please visit our website for volunteer information, um, ways to, to support, uh, whether it be attending events or volunteering at our resale shop. Again, we will link, uh, link that in the show notes as well. But uh, I encourage everyone to live your life as a positive role model for healthy relationships and to not stand for violence in your relationship or relationships that you see. And that's really how we're going to make a better tomorrow. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. Thanks for listening to the Growing Democracy podcast. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan and my co-host, as always, is Ashley Nichols. Our podcast is produced by David Jersa and edited by Jeremy Demery at Goldenlock Studio right here in Cleveland, Ohio, and supported by the American Political Science Association. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, growingdemocracyoh.org. 
Join us next time when we continue this conversation with Professor Lee Garcia at Kent State University. 